The book of Jonah, chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, uh, this morning. I'm going to read from the English Standard Version, Jonah, chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. And then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had lain down, and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. And so they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And then they said to him, Tell us on whose, on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. <clears throat> then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you? that the sea may quiet down for us. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood for you. O Lord, have done it, done as it is pleased to you. So they picked up Jonah, they hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days. In three nights. The title of this message is Man on the Run. Many people in our world today ignore God. They assume that God ignores them as well. And what they do doesn't really matter to God. Many think that God set the world into motion and he allows it to continue and does not fear with any does not interfere with anything that goes on in the world. 
However, this text, as we read it, portrays God as someone who is active in the world and who takes sin very seriously. At the beginning of verse 3, we we read, But Jonah rose to flee from the presence of the Lord. It's hard to believe that this is the same man who was a servant of God. Interesting, Jonah does not argue with God about the mission that he is given. He just simply runs from the mission. Uh, it is an in-your-face act of disobedience. And now it might, might be easy for us to sit back and think, I can't believe Jonah would run from God. However, we would quick, quickly realize that Jonah's flight is really not all that different than the history of the church. Nor is it all that different than the history of many people who sit in church every single Sunday and call themselves Christian. Often, we have become so accustomed to calling ourselves believers, making the claim that we love the Lord. But if love is measured by our obedience, then we are forced to confess that we really don't love the Lord at all. And isn't that exactly what Jesus says? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. In John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will be obedient. And so if you, if you have a love for Christ, and if your love for Christ is measured by your obedience, or by whether we keep his commandments or not, then how do we measure up? Are we really all that different than Jonah? How often do we share the gospel with people that are lost and going to hell? How often do we tell them about Jesus Christ? Why is it that the average church member only gives 2.5% of their income to the church? Why do we not address issues of sin within the congregations of our church, within the body of Christ. Well, because we don't really love Christ like we say we do. And instead of running towards God, we spend a lot of time being disobedient and running away from God, just like Jonah. But is there any running from God? Can we really run from God? Psalm 139, David said this, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Jonah was announcing his unwillingness to serve God. And to prove it, he openly rebels against God's sovereignty. And we see this, this very thing not just in our churches, but we see it in our own hearts. We too are prone to turn from God, and just like the great hymn says, and come thou fount of blessing, prone to wander. Lord, 
I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Today, this morning, I want to look practically at how and why it is that we turn from God. And hopefully, through this message this morning, learn some things for us to prevent us from doing so. Jonah provides for us an analysis of his own disobedience. The first thing that we notice is that Jonah turned from God's word. Right in verse 1, we read, Now the word of Yahweh, the word of God, came to Jonah. Now that word Yahweh is used here so that we clearly understand that it is God's word that came to Jonah. It was not someone else's word that came to Jonah. This expression, the word of the Lord, came is common. It's a common expression throughout the books of the prophets. In fact, it is used over 100 times and it is a clear indication of what it is meant or what it was meant to be a prophet. Being a prophet meant that you received a communication from God, that you received a message from God. And so in this case, or in the case of the prophets, it would relate sometimes to them, that message. Sometimes that message that they would receive from God would relate to society. Sometimes that message that they received to God or from God would relate to a nation. And, and the living God would deliver the message to the prophet. And, and the goal or the, the idea was that as God delivered the message to the prophet, then the prophet delivered the message that they received from God to the people. So you see that? So God speaks to the prophet. The prophet speaks to the people. That's what Jonah was supposed to do. And it allowed the prophet to be drawn in and see things from God's perspective. Oftentimes these encounters with the prophets, the prophets with God were described in powerful language by the prophets. They would use Words like it was a burden on their shoulders or it was a sword in their spirit or it was a hammer breaking their rocky hearts or it was a fire that raged within them or it was bitter to taste. The, the prophecy would come and it couldn't be halted. The prophecy forced itself onto the prophet. It gripped their minds. It gripped their conscience and they were compelled to deliver what the Lord had declared to them, there was no escaping it. The voice of God would sound in their hearts and they must now sound it to others through their lips. Look at how the word of God came to Jonah. There was no question what Jonah was to do. Right? There's no question. The word of God comes to Jonah and what's it say? Pretty, pretty plain. Arise, go to Nineveh. Right? I mean, so there's no question. There was no question about the city. It said Nineveh, and then it says that great city. So Jonah knows it, it wasn't like, huh, what's Nineveh? What, what Nineveh am I supposed to go to? There's no question where he's supposed to go. There was no question about his responsibility either. Right? Because what does God say? Arise, go to Nineveh, and what's he tell him to do? Call out against it. That's pretty self-explanatory. What was the problem? 
What was the problem with Jonah, the prophet? It was not an intellectual problem because he knew what he was. There was nothing he knew what he was supposed to do. There's nothing intellectually difficult about what he's supposed to do. It was crystal clear. There are times that people struggle because they don't understand God's word and it brings difficulties and spiritual problems in their life or they, they don't have a full grasp of God's word. We see this in the parable of the soils that Jesus tells us. It speaks of God's word falling on different types of soil. And Jesus says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is not what happened with Jonah. Jonah understood. This is also not what happens with us most of, the, most of the time. We understand exactly what God's asking us to do. We know exactly what he wants us to do. Our problem with obedience is not that we do not understand what God is saying to us. That's not the problem. The problem is, the problem with us and with Jonah is we understand exactly what God is saying to us. We just don't do it. Right? Isn't that the issue? You know exactly what God is saying to you and you just don't do it. You know that God says to you that, that we are to proclaim the gospel and you ever have that feeling like, oh, there's the person. Have you ever had that feeling? Like you're in a conversation with somebody? Have you ever felt like, oh, I need to bring up the gospel to this person and you don't do it? That's disobedience. That's God speaking to you saying, this is what I want you to do. Speaking through your conscience and through the Holy Spirit to you saying, do this. And you said, no. You're Jonah. No, God, I'm not going to do it. That, that goes with any number of things. God speaks to you, says, do this. And we say, nope. The problem's not intellectual. We know what we're supposed to do. When the word of God came to Jonah, he didn't say, huh, you know what? Let me get out my Hebrew lexicon and let me see what the latest commentary says about this. He didn't despair because of lack of understanding of what God was saying. He didn't have intellectual difficulty and neither do we. The problem rarely is an intellectual problem. Jonah's problem was a moral problem. When God spoke to Jonah in this circumstance, God's will and Jonah's will were not the same. They're on a collision course. Jonah had his own desires. Jonah wanted to do his own thing. Jonah had his own plans. Jonah had his own ambitions. Jonah had his own things to do and accomplish. Jonah acted in the flesh and his flesh made war against his spirit and he gave in to the lust of the flesh. God's word has a way of exposing us and, and, and it has a way of laying open the thoughts and the intents of our heart. It has a way of kind of laying us barren. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. For the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It piercing to the division of soul and of spirit. Of joints and of marrow. And discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to, to whom he 
we must give an account. You see, God's word has its way of kind of working into an area in your life. And it kind of, kind of, you're reading it. It's like, it just gets you. It's like, just works its way in there. Don't you, don't you hate it when God's word just exposes you and it works its way in there? It's like it's a knife and it gets in there and you're like, oh, I got to do something. And it works its way in there. And it puts you to the test. And it exposes your heart. And it hurts. It hurts. You say, well, how do you know, pastor? Well, because it does it to me all the time. That's how I know. I, I'm reading something and, and God just goes, oh, well, you're not doing that, are you? You're not doing that. That's what happened with Jonah. God's word came and exposed an area of his life that was not surrendered to the Lord. And oddly enough, this exposure brought out the worst in Jonah. One minute he's living his life, and the next minute he's fleeing and running around the docks of Joppa, finding someone that is willing to sail him away from Nineveh. Often wonder what Jonah told people as to why he was leaving or where he was heading. I mean, he could have easily covered his tracks. You know, I can't help uh, but, but to think of some things that maybe he would say or, or some things that we say today when we run from God. And how easily we try to cover our tracks and we try to disguise it in Christian language. Sometimes we can even use that word called to try to cover our tracks. Well, God called me to do this. Well, I'm called here. And we use that as a disguise sometimes to run from what God perhaps is really asking us to do. Sometimes we can cover our tracks by activity and yet be disobedient. So we can be active in ministry and yet disobedient to the Lord. Activity is not a substitute for disobedience. Later, when Jonah is finally done running, we see what is really in his heart and, and we're going to get there eventually. But Jonah says in Jonah chapter 4 verse 2, this is what he says. I love this. This is probably my, my favorite verse in the book of Jonah because he says this, Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish for I knew Listen to Jonah, the prophet. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, that you are slow to anger, and you are abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. His heart's exposed. He doesn't want God's grace to go to someone else. The reason why Jonah was so rebellious and so disobedient was because Nineveh was the capital of an enemy nation. Nineveh would later overrun the people of God. Jonah had a suspicion that God would pardon Nineveh. And if God does pardon Nineveh, then Jonah's reputation would be ruined because they were an enemy of his people. There is Jonah. Look at him. He's that traitor prophet that went over to Nineveh and started preaching the gospel to them. There are other reasons why Jonah rebelled, but this is one of them. Jonah could not believe that God would ask him to sacrifice 
sacrifice his reputation for those filthy, dirty, rotten Ninevites, those Gentile dogs. How dare him? How dare God ask him to go and preach the grace of God to them? And so Jonah turned. It was more than what Jonah was willing to bear. He refused to compromise his reputation. And in church, I can't help but wonder how often this idea of our reputation stands in the way of people today. For some people, their reputation is worth more than their salvation. For others, their reputation causes their love for the Lord to grow cold. You see, we struggle so often with the glory we find in ourselves. Or we struggle with the glory of God in others. We, we struggle with how others see us. We struggle with how others view us. We struggle with what we wear or how we look. We struggle with all these things. We struggle with all these perceptions from other people. But we don't wrestle with what God wants us to do. Does that make any sense to us? That we sit and struggle with what someone else would think. Yet the almighty God of this universe commands you to do something and you don't struggle with that. That makes no sense. With all these things that don't matter in the grand scheme of things, we elevate them somehow to a level that causes us to be disobedient to God. And then rather than be obedient to the word of the Lord, we decide that our reputation is more important than the word of God. Far too often Christians run from God and they turn from God's word because they're not willing to lay down the glories of this life. Instead, they hold tight to their reputation and they hold tight to their glory and they hold tight to their own exaltation. How often are our hearts deceive us into, say, into thinking that our glory is somehow worth more than God's glory? And we turn, just like Jonah, from the word of God. And we say I'm done Lord. I'm done. Too much exposure. You're doing too much. You're telling me to do too much God. I'm done. Forget about it. I'm not going to read it. I don't want to hear you. And we try to turn from the word of God. Point number two. Point number one. Jonah turns from the word of God. Point number two. Jonah turned from God's presence. Jonah turned from God's presence. Jonah chapter 1 verse 3. If we look at that. It says. But Jonah rose to flee. And look down. From the presence. Of the Lord. Jonah rose to flee. From the presence. Of the Lord. Literally. The verse reads, Jonah rose to flee from the face of the Lord. That's the literal translation. It says it again in verse, uh, in verse 3. That Jonah rose to flee. And again in verse 10. From the presence of the Lord. Did Jonah really think that he was going to escape from God? Surely, Jonah knew that God was omnipresent. And that no matter where he went, God was there. Surely, he would have... Knowing the confession of David in Psalm 
139, 1 through 12. Oh Lord, you've searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar off. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Oh, where shall I flee from your presence? As we read earlier, if I send to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me by night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as day, for darkness is as light with you, for you Form my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. So what does Jonah mean when he tells us? Because Jonah's writing this when he says to us by his own account that he ran from God's presence. He wasn't fleeing from the omnipresence of, of God. That is not what is taking place here because That's an impossibility. We cannot do so. However, Jonah was fleeing from the felt presence of God. He didn't want to feel the presence of the Lord anymore. He didn't want to feel his grace and his power. He was fleeing from service to God. He was fleeing from from the evangelism that God had called him to do. He panicked and he wanted to get as far away as possible that he could from where God wanted him to be. And so he boards a ship that was headed for Tarshish, most likely modern day Spain. And certainly he could find some place where he could push God back away from him. Push God out of his mind. Push the calling that God had placed on him out of the way surely he could get God out of his mind the voice of God away from him so he decides to flee and as the ship sails across the Mediterranean Sea God pursues Jonah Jonah eventually confesses that he was the reason for the storm and he was thrown overboard and cast upon the mercy of God Sometimes we think turning from God is no big deal. We think, well, if I turn from God, that's no big deal. It doesn't really affect me or those around us. But notice that Jonah's turning from God came at great cost. Jonah's turning from God came at great cost. We know that there was a literal price to pay because Jonah had to pay the fare to board the ship in the first place. There was a spiritual cost as well. First little misadventure. Can you picture Jonah? He gets the call from God and immediately he runs down to board a ship. He gets down there. He's in a hurry. He's breathless when he finds a ship going to Tarshish and he hurriedly counts out some money for his little Mediterranean cruise that he's about to get on. His adrenaline is pumping. He wonders what's going to happen and the ship pulls up anchor and uh, the, the port of Joppa disappears. And he thinks, yes, I've escaped. So much so that he goes below deck on this 
seemingly calm night probably. He's exhausted, kind of like I am right now, and is relieved that he's gotten away. He's paid the fare, and he's on the ship, and it's all been worth it, and he fades off to sleep, takes a little nap. Though Jonah paid the fare physically, he also paid the fare spiritually. The God from whom he fled was the God of the universe. He fled from the presence of God who scripture says makes known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's the God he fled from. And he traded that for this. Behold the storm of the Lord. Wrath has gone forth. A whirling tempest. It will burst upon the head of the wicked. We often think how could Jonah do such a thing? How could he know the grace of God? How could Jonah know the mercy of God? And how could he know the blessing that God gives? And the love that God pours out? How could Jonah possibly just ignore this? But let's not forget. Jonah ignored it and so do we oh how often do we turn from the presence of God and forget the cost to us spiritually or physically how often do we go our own way and not recognize what it will cost us Jonah's turning came at a great cost and so does ours but you know what's so amazing about Jonah's turning it's this Jonah's turning from God still produced spiritual fruit. Jonah's turning from God still produced spiritual fruit. It's extraordinary to think that even in the midst of disobedience, spiritual fruit was produced. Let's not forget that those sailing with Jonah were hardened sailors, yet they were spiritually affected by the presence of Jonah and how God dealt with him. When we first meet them, what are they doing? The scripture says in Jonah chapter 1 verse 5 that these mariners were so afraid that they each cried out to his God. And so here they are trying to figure out what's going on. And they're crying out to their various gods in hopes of some sort of safety. However, when we fast forward a few verses... We see Jonah chapter 1 verse 16. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So these men go from crying out to their false gods to fearing the one true God and even making a vow to him and offering sacrifice. Listen, I want you to understand something. Yes, we do look to lives to bear fruit. But just because a life is bearing fruit is not a guarantee that that life is an obedient life. And the same goes for us. Just because our life is bearing fruit does not mean that we are obedient. There are times that despite our disobedience, the Lord will use you in his service. This only serves to demonstrate in greater capacity that the grace the fruit, the glory, and are all His. It's not yours. The fruit of what you do, it's not yours. It's His. 
The grace, not yours, it's his. The glory, it's not yours, it's his. God is sovereign in all he does. And this is only proof that what he does is not dependent on you. However, this should also serve as a warning to us. That we shouldn't be deceived by what God does in the life of someone who is disobedient. We should not be deceived because someone seemingly bears fruit and therefore we assume that they must be walking with the Lord. So often when people turn from God, they look for anything to justify their rebellion. They will say things like, if, if this is wrong, then why is God blessing it? I wish I could tell you how many times I've heard that counseling people. If this is wrong, why is God blessing it? God's blessing has nothing to do with it. And has everything to do with what he simply chooses to do. Because God can do whatever he wants. He's God. We often see this in the lives of pastors and even churches. Perhaps God does bless a pastor or a church and we think, oh, that church must be doing all things right or that pastor must be doing everything right. And we focus in on their outward ability because we can see what's going on outwardly, but we can't see the heart. And the heart may indeed be far from God. How often do we say silly things like, well, they must be doing something right. You ever say that? Well, they must be doing something right. But in reality, that may have nothing to do with it. It may just be what God is choosing to do. Let's not forget that when Moses struck the rock, water flowed, yet he spoke unadvisedly and displeased the Lord. God still did what he was going to do, yet Moses was disobedient. So even though Moses was disobedient, the Lord still blessed. So blessing is not a gauge of obedience. You can't say, oh, well, look, God is blessing that, so therefore they must be obedient. That's not a gauge. And it never should be a gauge. So don't be confused, church. There are times we may find ourselves in a situation like Jonah where, where God's will collides with our will. And God will use you for His glory, yet your heart is far from Him. There may be a time where God will use us to draw someone closer to Him, even though that we are disobedient. And our hearts are not in tune with him. I've seen this happen over and over and over again. I've seen where God uses somebody totally disobedient to bring people to himself. Think about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Greatest sin in the history of mankind. That God uses it to gather his people to himself. Don't ever confuse your usefulness to God for your fellowship with God. Don't ever do it. Because God can use you in any way he sees fit. And that doesn't mean you're in fellowship with him. You see, sometimes, you know, as, as a pastor, 
I got to be careful. Well, God's using me. That's no excuse to not have fellowship with God. Lastly, I want us to see that Jonah could not escape. Jonah could not escape. Listen closely. There is no escape from God. You can't run far enough or fast enough to get away from God. There is nowhere you can go to get away from the presence of God. There is nowhere you can go where his presence can't be felt. When God is calling you to do something, to go somewhere, you can't escape it. You can't run from it. It's always there, Martin Luther says. Not only the ship, but the whole world becomes too small for Jonah. He finds no no noon or corner in all of creation, not even in hell, where he might crawl in. But he must needs expose himself to the face of all creatures and stand before them in all his ignominy. He can't escape. You know, when I thought of Jonah not being able to escape from God, and when I think of how often we try to run from God, like we can get away from his presence. I couldn't get a song out of my head. I'm not going to sing it because... um, Everybody would leave at the same time. Um, and I'm not going to play it for you because I, I, I don't know. I just couldn't really find a good video. I thought about showing a video. But I am going to read it for you. And you may be very familiar with the song. And it's probably a song that you are going to be surprised I'm going to read. You can run on for a long time. Run on for a long time. Run on for a long time. But sooner or later, God will cut you down. Sooner or later, God will cut you down. Go tell that long-tongued liar. Go and tell that midnight rider. Tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter. Tell him God's going to cut him down. Tell him God's going to come down. Well, my goodness gracious, let me tell you the news. My head's been wet with the midnight dew. I've been down on bended knee talking to the man from Galilee. He spoke to me in the voice so sweet, I thought I heard the shuffle of the angel's feet. He called my name and my heart stood still when he said, John, go do my will. Go tell that long-tongued liar. Go and tell the midnight rider. Tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter. Tell him God's going to cut him down. Tell him God's going to cut him down. You can run on for a long time. Run on for a long time. Run on for a long time. Sooner or later, God will cut you down. Sooner or later, God will cut you down. Well, you may throw your rock and hide your hand, working in the dark against your fellow man, but as sure as God made black and white, what's done in the dark will be brought to the light. You can run on for a long time. Run on for a long time. Run on for a long time. Sooner or later, God will cut you down. Sooner or later, God will cut you down. Go tell that long-tongued liar. Go and tell that midnight rider. Tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter. Tell them that God's going to cut you down. Tell them that God's going to cut you down. Tell them that God's going to cut you down. Plain and simple, church, you will never, ever, 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 ever escape the presence of God. Never. You can run as much as you want. You're not going to get away. And even 
if you refuse to live for it, and even if you refuse to seek after it, and even if you deny its existence, you cannot escape the presence of God. Church, Jonah turned from God's word. He turned from God's presence, and we do the exact same thing. We don't like what God says. And so we avoid it. And we don't like it. Or we don't like the direction that God's presence is leading us. And so we try to turn from it. We try to go do our own thing. We say, well, God, that's too much. Or God, I don't want to do that. Or God, I don't, I don't want to be a part of that. And we try to flee from the presence of God. How many times, church, has God called you to do something and you try to run from the presence of God? How many times has God been moving and stirring in your life and in your heart and you say, God, I don't want to hear it and you live a life of disobedience? How many times does the Word of God come to you on a daily basis sometimes and you just ignore the Word of God? How many times does God say, you know what, you need to share the gospel with this person or you need to invite this person to church or you need to be a light to this person and you say, God, I'm not going to do that. And we run from the presence of God. And we sit back in our pew and we think, boy, I sure wish First Baptist Church would grow. It sure would be exciting if it grew. Maybe we can think of a program or implement something that's going to cause our church to grow. This church isn't going to grow from programs. It's going to grow from people that are on fire for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's going to grow when he stirs in your heart and says, you go across the street and you tell your neighbor about Jesus. You tell the worker at Walmart about Jesus. You tell your friend about Jesus and you tell them who I am and that Jesus came to save them from hell. And when you start being obedient, church, this church will grow. And God will light a fire that will not be put out. He's searching for obedience, he says, you love me? Obey me. Yeah, we just run. Just say, no. I'm not going to do it, Lord. And you know, some of you have been disobedient long enough. You know, it gets easier every single time. Some of you, you heard this message and God's already stirred in your heart. You're going to walk out those doors and you're going to be disobedient again. Over and over and over again. Are you turning your back on God? Are you turning your back on God? Just like Jonah. I'm going to close in prayer. We're going to sing a song. Maybe this morning say, I've been running. Maybe you need to come and pray at this altar. Maybe you just need pastor, will you pray for me? Maybe you say, well, I, I, I want to talk to you later. You can do that. I don't force anybody to do anything. Maybe you say, uh, can I talk to you after church? That's, that's fine. Maybe you say a prayer in that pew. Oh God, help me be obedient. Do you really love him?
and you'd obey his commands. You'd stop running. If God's spoken to you, I want to give you that opportunity to respond to him. I'm going to close in prayer. We're going to sing a song. If you feel you need to respond, then I'll be standing down front. Let's close with a word of prayer.